What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The Old Sooners Podcast, episode 140 on this wonderful Wednesday, September 7th, 2022, week two of the 2022 college football season. Josh Calvin, Oklahoma City, Brian Chapman, and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, we made it through one full game week. We're trudging through the second one. How are we feeling? Who's been in Norman just as much as Tulsa over the last 10 days or so? Um, but uh, we're, we're making our way. I think we're off to a good start uh, this season. Uh, I'm thankful that we don't have to remind Brent Venables that we would be at his press conference a little earlier if he would win a game. Oh, God. They do at LSU for Brian Kelly. What was oh, that? What a, what a weird situation. Ugh. What a weird situation on both ends, too. And... Uh, I'm sure that uh, with the crew that we have, though, the media party at the end of the year would be uh, pretty off the chain. So maybe we do need to start donating $10 a press conference. That uh, that was awkward. I felt that through the screen with uh, Brian Kelly. If you haven't seen that, go find it on Twitter or something. Basically, Brian Kelly calls out a reporter for being late to the press conference. And then she responded with, I would be on time if you had won. <laughs> Week one, just an absolute cutthroat moment. I can't imagine that saying that to the head coach of the team you cover, but uh, yeah, what a what a moment! It, the LSU, the Brian Kelly LSU era is off to a fantastic start. Zero and one and fighting the people and throwing players under the bus. They're they're off and running in uh, in Baton Rouge, but uh, it's much more ceremonious in Norman. Things are off to a good start. Uh, Oklahoma's one and zero. Got Kent State coming this weekend. Of course, we'll preview that game here coming up in just a little bit. But did want to start off just. Final thoughts, uh, putting a bow on the UTEP game. Uh, obviously, for our full immediate reaction, the, the post-game show is still there. It's not going anywhere on wherever you get your podcast or on the YouTube page. John Hoover Media, that was right after the game was over. Obviously, we were still literally at the stadium, certified fresh, as Hoof says. Um, so we've had a few days now to peel back from it, you know, watch it back, um, and hear some more reaction from players and, and Venables in the, in the corridors and stuff. Just – Wanted to kind of put a finishing touch on that game. Just any thoughts from uh, to kind of finish up the UTEP game now that you guys have had time to peel back from it, look into it a little more, um, watch some tape on it, things like that. Just uh, kind of final thoughts on that game before we move on to the next one. Yeah, an interesting dichotomy. They played a lot of freshmen, played 10 freshmen in the game, but they played very maturely. And not just the freshmen, the whole team played with a maturity. That's a little bit uncommon for your first game. You know, there wasn't a ton of penalties. There wasn't a ton of busts. Uh, no, no receivers running wide open in the secondary. That's a refreshing change for Oklahoma. Uh, the first, I think the first missed tackle of the game was by a cornerback who has become, who won the job back because he's renowned for his tackling. He was the most consistent tackler in, in practice, Brent Venables said, Jaden Davis. He missed a tackle and the receiver bopped out for whatever it was, uh, the bigger gain of one of the bigger gains of the day. Um, a lot went right for Oklahoma. It was a very workmanlike, very professional, I think, um, approach to the game. It wasn't anything where you'd, you know, I, I, we, I get like 40 or 50 emails a week that are specific to college football awards. I didn't see any national players of the week this week. <laughs> you know, right. I think one, uh, one player was, uh, was named an honorable mention for the, for some, Award. I think it might have been uh, Braden Willis was named honorable mention for. He had a great game. Uh, two and a half sacks by Reggie Grimes. He had a great game, but it wasn't anything that just jumped out at you. It was just a very straight ahead, workmanlike, and I think that's what the fan base really wanted to see out of Brent Venable's first game. Yeah, you mentioned Braden Willis. The thing that uh, kind of 
stands out when you watch it back is you get to kind of focus on him knowing the day that he had and get to see him blocking too, which is something that I know he's highlighted himself on Twitter, stuff like that. I was listening to uh, the the coaches huddle last night that they have and Caleb Kelly was on there with Gabe Eichert and Toby Rowland. Caleb Kelly was talking about that. Yeah. Braden's a guy that he has had many conversations with that. He sees the scout Twitter, all that stuff. Uh, the, the working group that, you know, you, you send your uh, scouting stuff in to see if you should come out early or not and getting that info back from them to say, hey, he's not a blocker. Uh, Braden Willis took that personally. So that was kind of cool to see watching back. Uh, but I, I think for me, watch the game back on Sunday. This is what really stuck out to me is in the press box, in the moment, UTEP goes down, scores that touchdown to cut it to 21-10, and all of us kind of took a – not really like a, a huge pause like with the Tulane game where we look up and we're all to stop riding and go, what's happening? But it, it's that moment of, okay, how's this team going to respond? Leads cut to 11, all that stuff. It, it was kind of jarring when you're not in the moment in the press box to watch just how quickly that flipped. It was, boom, an offensive drive. Uh, spearheaded by a, a ground-and-pound attack that, that took up at four, four-and-a-half minutes. Then the defense comes out, and immediately UTEP has no momentum, gets nothing going. It's about as strong a close to the first half as you could have in that moment. And it was just stark remembering it going, okay, there was that hinky moment there in the second quarter when really it was about 10 minutes total. Uh, and so that, that's kind of what stood out to me is how quickly they got things back on track and back to that dominant brand of football that, that they wanted to play. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of the main things I'll, you know, obviously we're entrenched in it and we're at the games and we're at the press conference, but I'm always curious, what is the national perception uh, of Oklahoma? And that was my main thing coming out of that game was, I wonder how that that's looked at, you know, across the country. And it seems to me, and you guys can chime in, obviously, it, it seems like generally Oklahoma's looked at pretty favorably in week one. Most people really liked their defense, really liked that they, you know, flattened a UTEP team that was a bowl team last year, which like Brett Venables talked about. So it seems like, generally speaking, the and national perception is important because that's what affects your rankings and your playoff ranks, stuff like that. Oklahoma's looked at pretty in a, in a positive light after week one, which is a, a good thing, especially considering that Oklahoma's had to kind of fight that battle uh, for a while um, you know, in, in recent years. So good start on that front. They move up to number seven in the AP poll. They jump both Utah and Notre Dame, who took week one losses. Still extremely early, but and you got to like that you're – in that position, if you're Oklahoma, I mean, firmly in the top 10, firmly looked at as one of the best teams in the country. And like we talked about in the preseason show, you know, I mean, the AP poll doesn't matter, but it also does because it reflects pretty much what the CFP is going to look like when that first ranking does come out. So for the Sooners to be up to number seven, we were kind of speculating yesterday who we didn't think they would jump Notre Dame because they lost at Ohio State, but they do. They move up two spots. They're up to seven. Got to like where they're at right now uh, in the early part of the year. I mean, they're, they're within – they're in the you know the national eye right now. They're not like some sleeper team. A lot of people have Oklahoma as a playoff contender, which is half the battle is just getting your name you know in the top of people's minds before it's too late. Kind of a deal at the end. College football is so weird in that your results dictate what people think of you, and then their impression of you dictate your rankings and where you stand. Uh, if Oklahoma beats UTEP seventy to three. The, the national reaction is, well, UTEP's absolute hot garbage, and uh, this team, obviously Oklahoma, is just Oklahoma, so they must not be that good if they're beating a UTEP team. You know, it's like that uh, 2008 
Texas Tech game. Well, we beat Texas. Well, we beat Texas Tech. Well, we beat Oklahoma. Uh, you know, the, the, the three-way tie. And then yeah. the fact that Oklahoma beat Texas Tech, I think, 65-21, actually hurt Oklahoma in some people's eyes because it made them say, well, obviously Texas Tech's not that good if they're getting beat that bad. Oh, so beating them uh, 35-28 would have been better? Yeah. I just it's, it's college football so weird how it kind of devours itself sometimes. That's what makes it beautiful, right? It's the uh, perfect imperfection, whether it be at the game level or uh, with rankings, all that stuff. But yeah, like you said, Josh puts Oklahoma firmly in that, you know, chasing pack early on, which is where I think most of the sane and reasonable people had them. But uh, when you have to deal with the offseason of only hearing the Oklahoma is a thousand percent better off and Lincoln Riley is a terrible coach who's never going to go win a game at yeah. USC or the Oklahoma's dead and USC's making the play. Like that's what we lived in for eight months. Yeah. And you know, to, to kind of to who's point, I mean, you feel for Notre Dame. I mean, if, if, if in the preseason poll, if you say that Notre Dame is not the fifth best team in the country and they go to number two, and playing close, cover the spread. That was a competitive game. I think they led. They led in the second half, maybe the fourth quarter. I can't remember when Ohio State took the lead. How do they drop that far? That you would think that they would, at the very least, just stand pat. So it is a weird thing. Like it doesn't always. And Ohio State moved down. Ohio State beat the number five team in the country, and moved <laughs> down. so it, it's uh, it's an inexact science to say the least. But Oklahoma in good shape right now uh, at number seven here, very early. But again, just being on the radar is half the battle sometimes. And Oklahoma um, was never really – they're Oklahoma. They're never in too much of a danger of falling off the radar. But it was a weird offseason. So to get a nice preseason ranking, nice first game, move up, that's good. You like that uh, if you're the Sooners. Looks like Oklahoma's going to get uh, a key piece back. We didn't talk about it on the uh, postgame show, but Daniel Parker missed the opener. We didn't know why. We still don't really know why. Brent Venable said he had the sniffles. I uh, don't know what that actually entails. Uh, so you can speculate which way – uh, you want on that, but it looks like Daniel Parker is going to be good to go and play on Saturday, which is exciting. Um, it, it's interesting to see what exactly he looks like out there. Um, obviously, remember when he committed number one blocking tight end in the country was what he touted himself as, and he we've seen him practice. He can get out and he can move. He's athletic. He can catch pass and stuff, so I'm excited to see what he looks like uh, in his first action. Pretty big deal here if they get Daniel Parker back. He's going to help that running game. Uh, he's obviously uh, the best yeah. blocker in the tight end core, right? Um, he's the blocking tight end. Braden Willis is the receiving tight end. Braden Willis obviously can't block. I say that because I want to see Braden Willis bury people like he did last week. That was so impressive, especially the the Gavin Freeman touchdown run where he blocked four people. Four people, and two of them were 50 yards apart. Uh, that dude's unbelievable, Braden Willis. But, yeah, it'll be good to see Daniel Parker get back on the field uh, and do some of the things that, made him such a, a favorite among his teammates and his coaches at Missouri, where he comes in as a freshman defensive end. And by midseason, he's starting at tight end on offense. What? Yeah. So right. uh, he, he's got that kind of work ethic, that kind of toughness, and that kind of mentality. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do, to, especially to help the running game. And maybe they'll throw him a ball once in a while. That'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, why are we all here? Because we love football, right? So I like to cover the sport. And when you have a coach that is giddy about a guy that basically comes in and has what's essentially an advent calendar for like, when can I put my pads on and hit people? When can I put my pads on and hit people? And Daniel Parker, that's what Joe John Finley told us that he kept coming in asking, we hitting today, we hitting today, all that stuff. 
I'd, like I would like to see what that looks like on the field. Don't know what it's going to add, subtract, whatever to the offense because uh, Braden Willis was doing a great job taking care of that aspect of the game uh, last Saturday. But uh, also, if you're an Oklahoma fan, what you saw to Braden Willis, you know what you don't want? That guy out there in the fourth quarter of a blowout or the third quarter of a blowout having to throw extra blocks or anything like that, just keep him fresh. If he's going to do that all year long, uh, keep him fresh. And, and being able to throw Daniel Parker into the mix is, is a big thing that can help that. 100%. So excited to see Daniel Parker uh, make his Oklahoma debut. It does sound like he will be good to go uh, on Saturday night against Kent State. Other than the spectrum, Wayne Morris, don't really know uh, what's latest to him. Also, we talked about him last week. Weird situation, um, you know, evicted from his apartment. We talked about that on last week's show. Um, there was some other stuff floating around. Brent Venables has been fairly vague. Didn't play last week. Was non-committal on playing this week. He insisted that whenever he's back, he he thinks he's going to just jump right back in and be a starter. They picked him to be a starter for a reason. But I'm curious, you guys, if if, if Wani doesn't play again and it's Guyton or, or whatever, um, I mean – is he going to lose his job? I mean, at a point, you kind of want to have some chemistry, and I don't know how many games you can miss before you're just saying, all right, you know what, this is our group, and we're going to roll with that. Tyler Guyton is so um, young, green, raw at the position. Uh, he's got a lot of room to grow, a lot of room to grow. As yeah. big as he is, six, six, seven, three, fifteen, or whatever. He's got a lot of room to grow with his technical aspect of, you know, hand placement, feet, uh, balance, body, lean, all that stuff. You want to see him, uh, you want to see him take that, take that role and run with it. He kind of did that. He showed a lot of potential and promise uh, a handful of times against UTEP, but he also showed some holes in his game because he's still learning the position, still learning how to play that left tackle. He's so athletic. Uh, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't surprise me if Wanya Morris comes back from his two-game, what is expected to be a two-game situation. I'm not going to call it a suspension. I'll just call it a situation. Uh, if he comes back and doesn't get his job back because Tyler Guyton is so has such such an amazing upside, and they want to see where his potential can lead him. But uh, on my radio show today, Sports Animal in Tulsa, I asked Sam Mays. If he misses the first two games, uh, Wanya Morris, do you really want him making his season debut at Nebraska? Right. And if it's if if you bring him off the bench against Nebraska and say we need you to come in and kind of get your feet wet a little bit, do you really want him making his first start of the season against Kansas State and the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year, uh, preseason Defensive Player of the Year, and and that fearsome K State defensive line? And Sam's answer was, uh, I, my answer would have been, no, you want to play the guy that's gotten plenty of game snaps. Sam's answer was straightforward from an offensive lineman. If he's the best guy, they'll play him. If he's better than Guyton at this stage of his career, when they go to Nebraska, they'll play Wanya Morris. If he's better than Guyton when they play Kansas State, they'll play Wanya Morris. It's simple as that. Yeah, before the week zero round of games, I think this would have been a bit bigger headache. But uh, Nebraska doesn't look like anything. Their defensive line, pathetic against Northwestern, pushed around. Yeah. So, like, the only barrier for Wanya Morris coming back against Nebraska is the atmosphere. And uh, if Oklahoma goes in there and, and takes care of business, that's good adversity for him to play through in, in that first 
uh, you know, two or three possessions, because frankly, like you mentioned, who the level of competition is taking a huge, huge step up when that team returns home against K-State, especially on the defensive line. So uh, Brent Venables has maintained he said this after the game when when you asked him about the the more situation who then he maintained it again yesterday. Uh, Wani Morris is still at practice, right? And uh, you can just tell the demeanor. Brent's being very careful with his word choice, but uh, he told Dean Blevins, like, you take things situation by situation, and in this one, this is what they believe merits it. Brent Venables basically is just like, yeah, he's still practicing, and we're going to slot him back in at the starter. That should tell you all you need to know probably about, hey, they're uh-huh. very happy they're getting this development from Guyton, but that's your best five with your what might be your best lineman going back to his actual spot. Because, again, that'd be another situation where you're going through all year of Anton Harrison, who might be your best guy, playing at right tackle instead of left to, to kind of make everything work. Put your best lineman at his best spot and let everything else shake out from there. Yeah, going to be interesting to see uh, if he does get out there this weekend or if he doesn't, then, yeah, how that how that plays out moving forward because we talked about it last week, and I said that, you know, obviously these first two games, UTEP Kent State, we Oakland's going to walk over both of them. This is the time to kind of just build some, you know, chemistry, shake off rust, things like that, and one you missing that is a bummer if you're, if you're Oklahoma, obviously. So we'll see uh, if he is back from the brass game, if he does just slide right back in and they roll or – how that shakes out. It's going to be a fun uh, little storyline to watch this weekend and then going into next week if, uh, if he didn't play. So uh, we'll talk about this week's game uh, up next, Oklahoma and Kent State. The Golden Flash is coming into Norman, second game of the year, second game of Brent Venables there. We'll break that game down next, and we'll give our expectations, our keys, things like that next up on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, if you're looking for the best deals on great seats for this week's game, Ticket IQ is here to help you out. Tickets are currently as low as $34 for Saturday's game versus Kent State. Ticket IQ seat of the week can be found in Section 2, Row 41. This is a sideline seat relatively close to the field and uh, will do you even $10 better. Not only does Ticket IQ have zero fees, they are also currently offering $10 off all in-app orders above $50 with the promo code Thank you, 10. Promo code thank you, 10. Go to the App Store right now and download the Ticket IQ app for $10 off. Limited time only. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan, you changed yours. Your Twitter. What's your Twitter now? Uh, underscore Ryan Chapman. No underscore longer. Ryan Chapman. I got to update my uh, my read yeah. here. Underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Callaway. Our website is allsooners.com. We're a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two. Got Oklahoma, Kent State this weekend. The Golden Flashes coming to town. We'll introduce you to Kent State a little bit here. They were picked to win their division uh, in the preseason uh, MAC poll. They were in the championship game last year, lost the MAC championship game uh, a year ago. So, I mean, a competitive program. Um, a lot has been made about their non-conference slate. They go, they went to Washington last week. They're going to Norman this week, and then they go to Georgia in two weeks. That is, that's a hell of a slate uh, in your non-conference. That's a payday right there, uh, big time for the Flashes. They opened the year, like we said last weekend in Washington, didn't go real well. They lost forty-five twenty. Um, really kind of struggled in all areas. When you're looking at the box here, they didn't really throw the ball effectively. Completed less than fifty percent of their passes. 
Um, didn't really run the ball effectively, less than four yards per carry, and they really struggled to defend the pass. Washington threw for almost 400 yards uh, in that game. So the Huskies won uh, easily in Seattle. Got to figure Oklahoma's a big favorite, obviously. But what are some initial thoughts about uh, Kent State here coming in here? What do you know about the flashes, and uh, what are some things you're watching for? Yeah, so they've got they've got some talent on the team. They were picked uh, to to win their division by a lot of people in the preseason. They've got a 1,200-yard rusher coming back, a 1,200-yard receiver coming back. Uh, their coach, Sean Lewis, has got ties to Jeff Levy uh, through, you know, their their Baylor connections, Dino Babers and stuff like that. Um, he played with Jay Valai at Wisconsin, said uh, we're, we're still a couple of knuckleheads, him and Jay Valai. So that's cool. There's some, uh, there's some connections. There's some personal connections there. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a it's a Mac school that um, they're going to make one point eight million off their trip to Washington, one point nine million off their trip to Georgia. Joke Stiglione's getting out of town with only having to pay him one point five million. So pretty frugal negotiating by Joe Stiglione to bring those guys here. They've been in Oklahoma all week at uh, right up the street from me here at uh, Tulsa, Tulsa Union. They're practicing at the with Union Redskins, Union Redhawks, sorry, uh, facility and, and officing there and lockering uh, there if they need whatever they need to there while there's a high school season going on. Uh, he said yesterday, or I guess it was Monday, he said that they, uh, they're taking this opportunity to take the team on an educational trip. He called it a life experience. And I'm like, Tulsa, Oklahoma? What are you what are you doing? He's taking them to Black Wall Street. He's taking them to the Greenwood District. Uh, an amazing opportunity for those guys to uh, to go and and learn about you know the culture and and the history of Tulsa. It's one of the one of the great untold stories in the history of Tulsa, and everybody's telling it now. So for those kids to be able to go to Tulsa and then see what was what and where was where and who was who, it's an amazing experience for them. I wish they had time to go to the Oklahoma City bombing memorial too. That's one that's really going to move you. Uh, if yeah. you get time for that one, Coach Lewis, if you're watching, take your guys over to OKC as well. Yeah, for sure. A, a really cool way for them to kind of go through this non-conference slate. I'm sure it's kind of appreciated too, it, considering the murderers row that they have on that schedule to be able to say, hey, uh, Brent Middles talked about just the logistical part of being able to not have to turn around and be on a plane, be on a plane, be on a plane, and what that does for rest, recovery, especially for guys coming from not the power five level to go through that slate. Good for injuries and stuff, but back on the field, like tempo is going to be the name of this game. I know it's been the big theme for, I guess people were surprised with how fast Oklahoma's offense ran, despite the fact that this, that's how quickly it ran in the spring game. But um, Kent state is going to bring that same approach as well. So this is going to be a really good test, not as far as talent and all that goes for the defense, but as far as the mental aspect of it, right? We've talked about bigger playbook, no coverage, bust, all that stuff. Well, now you're going to have a team that's rushing you in to get lined up, get lined up, get lined up. It feels like if this is where mental busts are going to happen in the non-conference, it would be here where you're sped up yeah. and all that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see a lot of the players this week have talked about, well, our offense runs fast, so we're prepared for it. But one of those things that won't be able to see until they're actually under the gun on Saturday. Then also just uh, Colin Schley, the quarterback coming in, it's interesting. He's a little mobile, like a little bit more mobile than Hardison. So if, if tackling becomes a problem, that's an area to look at it. He's got a cannon, but he's not very accurate. Another guy that last week, 50% passing, a couple of picks. So this should be an opportunity that 
defensive backs should be able to make some plays on the football and maybe force a turnover or two. So a lot of intrigue from that perspective, not in the win-loss or the margin. It should still be a blowout, but uh, just different questions being asked at this defense early on or as well as you can ask those questions with kind of inferior talent. Yeah, Hoove, I'm expecting you to uh, go scout out some practice and uh, give us some give us some tips and notes of what to expect on Saturday because uh, they're like in your backyard practicing, basically. They are. They're playing. They're practicing on the same field where my daughter played her high school senior season of soccer. <laughs> While they were renovating the soccer field, they had to play on the football stadium. So, uh, my a friend of mine, photographer Mike Simons, uh, said, "Oh, that's cool that they're you know he's a, he's one of those photographers that goes out and gets himself in the community." He yeah. looked around and he said, "What? Kent State's practicing at Union? That's awesome! I'm gonna go get some pictures." He walked out there and they said, "Out! This is a closed practice. No photos. No media." No. He's like, "Whoa! I totally forgot about that angle." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's uh, he's they're they're all business here at Kent State uh, Union West, and uh, they are going to uh, Union East, I guess. They are going to uh, – he's, he's calling a, a Kent State shocker, an upset. I'm kidding. He's kidding. Maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> that would be something. That would be something. They're all business. All business. All business. Hopefully they're getting some quick trip and some Coney Islander, and they're just really enjoying themselves uh, the week in Tulsa. So uh, pretty cool. I don't think that's in the nutrition plan. <laughs> well, you make an exception. Um for both of those, get yourself a, a quick trip corn dog and a taquito, and then hit some Coney Islander for dinner, and uh, call it a day. Um, so yeah, we heard from uh, obviously Brent Venables yesterday, uh, Jeff Lebby and Ted Roof on Monday, a whole slew of players again. Um, the player access has been awesome. We've gotten a lot of guys. I mean, freshmen, backups, uh, Zach Schmidt yesterday, the kicker. I mean, just a, a world over the place. Any any you know. Any guy you want, basically, you're getting them right now. Even Marcus Major stepped up and, and did some media yesterday. That was pretty cool. So he was um, good too. Yeah, he did a great job. So just takeaways, I guess, from from the week at hand. There's a lot because the access is so great. It's almost like it, it's almost overwhelming. Where we get set to do the show, I'm like, there was so much just from Brent and the assistants and all the players. But a couple, one or two things that jumps out at you uh, from this week um, from Brent, Levy, Roof, players, however you want to take it. Oh, man. Uh, I think we got Davis Bevel, the backup quarterback. I mean, that was exciting. Yeah. You know, we, you don't – when when does anybody ever get to talk to a backup quarterback? You couldn't get the starting quarterback last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, that's true, too. Um, he's a, he, he's a, he was third string last year in, in uh, Pittsburgh and, you know, had the, the Jordan Addison, the Belitnikoff receiver and – He's at USC now, and I asked him about you know some of the some of the talent. So I heard you had some talent on that Pitt team last year. He's he's like, yeah, we had we had a few. Um, Javante Barnes was I thought he was very expressive. Same with uh, Marcus Major. Marcus was a little bit more reserved with his um, expressiveness or his commentary, but really I think for the most part we're getting guys that are very very revealing, and it's yeah. it's almost like they can't wait to tell you their story. Um, you know, we, we talked after the game, we talked to, I think seven players and one of them was Reggie Grimes talking about his grandmother having to put off her cancer treatments so she could come to Oklahoma and watch him play. Uh, we're getting a level of, and, and a lot of this too, is some of these guys, I think Reggie's one of them. Um, this is their first time talking face to face to the media, 
you know, because it's been on Zoom for most of the mm-hmm. last two years. So uh, that's really cool. It's uh, we're getting to, we're getting to see a side of them, and they're frankly getting to see a side of us that allows them to loosen up, relax, and not be so stiff. And you know, the Zoom thing, and I'm talking, and I don't know who that is talking to me, and I don't know who that everybody, how many people are listening, and they're just talking. They're just having conversations. It's been fantastic so far. Yeah, for sure. The the Javante Barnes stuff especially was a ton of fun over there. I know Josh and I were over there while it was happening, and he was a guy that uh, first off he was incredibly nervous because after we were done, he immediately like right when the scrum ended, he's like, "Did I do okay? How did I do?" And everyone's <laughs> like, "Yeah, dude, like talk yeah, for like great. five straight minutes." Yeah, and uh, it was just really fascinating to hear like his process, right? Of okay. He, he talked about wherever DeMarco Murray was going to go, he was going to go. While he loved OU, wherever DeMarco Murray was going to go, that's the guy he wanted to be coached by. That's where he was going to be. So I was just curious, like, okay, there, there were following that recruitment. Everyone from the outside was speculating, okay, what is the change to all this stuff? And he was like, no, no, no. DeMarco Murray, like, immediately was like, hey, I'm going to be at Oklahoma. And Javante Barnes is like, sick. I'm going to be at Oklahoma too. So just him being able to do all that, he talked about, He's learned so much from DeMarco already as far as just stuff like getting skinny to the hole, stuff like that. He's like, that was stuff I didn't have to do in high school to be dominant, never even thought of it, and it's just a big difference already. But And then you saw yesterday Brent Venables talked about Javante Barnes, and he was like uh, – they got that first carry on the sideline and, and he said everyone on the sideline was like, whoa, and he makes like a, a holding everybody back motion, stuff like that. So you can tell the staff's excited about those young guys um, from the players perspective, that's a lot of fun. And then yesterday, like from the coaches, I think the biggest storyline all week long kind of alluded to it earlier was tempo, tempo, tempo. We've heard from Lebby, Roof and Venables. Lebby had a very interesting thing to say about basically yeah, I'm the offensive coordinator, but it's my job to kind of have a feel for the team, have a pulse for the team of what we need offensively. So uh, if he needs to slow it up a little bit, like he's supposed to feel that Ted roof on the other hand's like, yeah, I've got Levy right there, but I don't say anything to him. We play football when we're told to play football defensively. And Brent Venables like basically nipped everything in the bud yesterday. He was like, I addressed the team in my team meeting on Monday, and we're not talking about it. But he basically said uh, what the offense does has nothing to do with the defense does. The defense is their jobs to go out there and get stops. Hey, if you're the defense and you want more rest, you know what you do? Get a three and out. Then you're back on the sideline. That's plenty of rest yeah. for you. It's like that's very much the mentality of this team, which for me means – that's how I'm going to judge this team going forward. I'm not going to concern myself with the time of possession stuff because that's what the coaching staff's telling us. And if there's problems, that's a defensive issue because that's how Ted Roof views it and that's how Brent Venables views it. So I think that's pretty cut and dry. And he even kind of talked about that when he talked about maybe Gavin Freeman returning punts, right? Like uh, Joshua, you were, I think we were all laughing yeah. about that, that he was like, what's the worst that happens? He muffs it. We hold the other team for a field goal and we're back out. Like that is the mentality of this defense. So, I'm not going to be concerned with the time of possession because that's how the coaches, that's the lens the coaches are viewing this team through. Yeah, there's a confidence level um, that's that's hard to describe. It's like an understood confidence. Like, we'll just stop them. What is it? Like, what are you talking about? You know, like, who cares if that happens because we're just going to get the stop anyway. Um, it's it's very, um, I don't even know the right word. Yeah, but Brent Venables, um, yeah, but like you said, Ryan, with the muff punt, we'll stop home to a field goal. You know, if time possession is not very good. Who cares? Well, like, it's it's very different and interesting. Um, you know, I I don't have a lot of other coaching staffs to compare it to other than the previous one, but it's just a very different, I don't know, attitude and kind of way of looking at it. Um, so it's 
it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the year. We talked about in the postgame show. Uh, obviously, it didn't matter against UTEP. You score that many points that fast. But was it sustainable to have, you know, the time possession be so weighted in favor of the opponent all year? Um, and clearly, Oklahoma not worried at all. So uh, we'll see if it ever bites them in the future. But as of now, Ted Roof and the defense and Brent Venables, they're looking at it as, hey, when we're out there, we're supposed to get the stop. It doesn't really matter. And Jeff Levy's looking at it as we're going to try and help him, but also like we're going to go with whatever works and gets points on the board. So it's uh, going to be fun to kind of watch and see how that plays out. If it's a little more even this weekend or if it's more of the same, um, because it was very heavy in UTEP's favor, obviously, on Saturday. It didn't matter on the scoreboard, but uh, it might later on down the road when you start to play better teams. Uh, that remains to be seen. So for this game, Kent State, Oklahoma, obviously, like we said, we expect Oklahoma to win this game big as they did in the first game, what are the keys for Oklahoma in this one? Not necessarily to win because we know they're going to win, but just keys as far as what do they what, what what do they need to get out of this? Because you only have a couple of these gimmies, and we all think Nebraska is not very good, but that's still going to be tougher than this. You're going into Lincoln, and it is still a Big Ten team, and it will be tougher than this. So you have these opportunities now to do practice game is a, is a little much, it's a little mean <laughs> to Kent State or Utah. They're still teams, but Oklahoma's big favorites. What do they need to get out of this? What's important for Oklahoma on Saturday to make sure that that, that happens uh, you know, going forward? Yeah, when it comes to improvements, you want to see, uh, asked Brent Venables this yesterday, um, what do you want to see? What is what is in your in your mind? What is an improvement? Uh, and he said they need to finish. They need to finish plays. They need to finish drives, possessions defensively, offensively. Uh, don't give up a holding penalty or, or don't cause a holding penalty on a touchdown run, you know, finish yeah. that drive with the touchdown. Uh, don't have a defensive penalty that keeps a drive alive that allows the team to put them in field position to score. Uh, and then he said he wants to see clean, cleaner play across the board on the offensive line. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, rushing wise, there were some good, some very good moments. I think the, the uh, yards per carry skewed a little bit by what, was initially about a four-yard run that turned into a 46-yard run thanks to to Gavin Freeman's balance. So uh, seven point, whatever it was, 6.8 yards per carry, I think, um, skewed a little bit by that 46-yarder, but that's that's okay. That's what you want. Pass pro, uh, another situation, you know, some of it was on Dylan Gabriel for holding football too long, trying to make something happen, looking for a deep ball. Some of it was on the offensive line for not protecting long enough. Some of it was on the receivers for not getting an earlier separation uh, or not creating uh, openings in the routes. So, um, yeah, generally I think the offensive line needs to be cleaner. And, you know, again, we talked about this in the first segment. You got a guy making his first career start there. You got another guy making his first career start at the other side. And then you've got another guy that's making his first start for Oklahoma McCabe Matower, he, you know, by all reports and accounts, he struggled a little bit. And I asked him specifically, were you hurt? Did you have to come out because you were hurt? He said, no, I wasn't hurt. That was coach, you know, pulling me out and going with somebody else. Robert Conjo came in and got some snaps. But uh, Matower said that he was not hurt. He's fine. Didn't look 100%, but, you know, I'll take him at his word. But generally, there's just a lot of movement, a lot of shuffling around at the, for the for your first game on the offensive line. And Venable said you want to see cleaner play across that. I think that's exactly right. Uh, tackling was good. Pass defense was good. Pass rush was good. There were times when guys couldn't get off blocks quick enough. They were just kind of, you know, the heat and the humidity yeah. kind of makes you 
stand a little bit or lean a little bit instead of fighting to get off a guy. But I, I think generally speaking, the defense was good. The offensive players, the skill positions look good. Better play on the offensive line. Um, and then, like Brent said, finishing the mentality that you have to be crisp and sharp when you're finishing a play or finishing a drive. Yeah, for me, you kind of covered a lot of it, but the biggest thing, penalties, a lot of those seem pretty like they should be adjusted from week one to week two. Brent Minnibal's talked about the jitters. So if Oklahoma doesn't have, you know, three false starts this week, then that to me says, okay, that was a week one jitters thing. And while you, you never want to see it, you're like, okay, that's understandable. These are still college kids. That's totally fine. Get it. Um, so for, from that perspective, that makes sense. Kind of mentioned it earlier, but uh, just the mental, not penalties, but mental just stay on top of it defensively. It looked good without coverage bus stuff like that. Different tests this week with the tempo. So I want to I want to see this defense look exactly the same as it looked last week, right? Because how many times have we seen good defensive performance and then a mediocre defensive performance and then a month that leads to a really bad one and suddenly you're doing the roller coaster thing, the highs, the lows, all that stuff. I want to see yeah. a baseline of consistency from both sides of the football. I want to see the offense run at that same pace effectively. I want to see the defense just look the same, even though it's moving faster. So is that something that I'm interested in? And then also Brent Venables and Jeff Levy both talked about how they were happy they got a ton of people in, but they had wished they had got some different guys in, some guys in sooner. So what does that look like, Marcus Major? Does, does he get kind of moved into the rotation a little bit earlier, especially around the goal line? Does Javante Barnes get more than four carries kind of at the end of the game? Do we see some of those – Fresh, we didn't really get to see like a Jaden Gibson. Does that that does he get to get thrown in there and get more of a run than, than what he did last week? Some of that stuff I'm kind of curious in because that, that's something that Levy especially talked about both after the game and on Monday was that he he looked up and he's like, "Crap, we want to put some different guys in and see some more guys." So, so what does that look like? Yeah, Jeff Levy mentioned uh, this week that he expects you know Eric Gray, Marcus Majors carries to be a little more even uh, moving forward. So. Definitely interesting to see how that goes. Obviously, Marcus Major impressed them. They liked what they saw in the first game. So we'll see how that uh, shakes out. And uh, like you said, Ryan, getting more guys in there in general. He said that was kind of like the one regret from the opener was uh, not playing as many guys as he would have liked. So uh, what that looks like for sure um, will be something to keep uh, tabs on. Um, final thoughts on this game. Uh, obviously, I think we all expect Oklahoma to, to roll. We'll save our actual game picks for Friday and allcenters.com. But um, just kind of final thoughts on this one, expectations for what we think is going to happen on Saturday. Does Oklahoma completely roll? Is there any hiccup here at all? I would say Kent State's not a total pushover. They are were picked to win their division in the MAC. Um, they did just go to Seattle, so, I mean, they're going to have a tough environment already under their belt, so they have that going for them, I, I guess. Um, going to be tough, obviously, for the Flashes. Final thoughts on this game, expectations for Saturday. Yeah, Brent, the way he talked about him yesterday – Kent State is probably going to the playoff and will have two Heisman Trophy winners this year. <laughs> uh, they're really, really good. Now, um, they're, it's, it, the, the spread is about the same as it was the first game for UTEP. I think it moved between 30 and 32. I think this one is about 31 right now. Um, and Oklahoma hit that number last week. I think they'll probably hit the number again this week. I get the feeling that this Oklahoma team is not about flash and dash. The players want to get in the end zone and they want to have big hits and they want to have, you know, pick sixes and stuff like that. Right. That, that puts points on the board. Uh, but I get the feeling this, this Oklahoma team is not about flash and scoreboards and, you know, making a statement. They just here to play football. They're just here to yeah. win. 
and they want to do it, like I said in the first segment, a workmanlike attitude, uh, very blue collar. And if they win by 40 to 14 again or something like that, they're perfectly fine with that. They want to play to a standard, uh, but they don't want to show anybody up. They don't want to put the hammer down and put the, the foot on the throttle, you know, so to speak, like the past, uh, the previous coaching regime might have uh, portrayed at least. Uh, Lincoln always said he didn't care about the score or any of that, but you know, every time he wanted, every time that his quarterback was taking a snap, he wanted to see a touchdown pass. And this team doesn't doesn't project that at all. They, yeah. So, I would I would assume that something like what we saw last week is about probably what we're going to see a lot this year. Yeah, I think we've covered this one pretty good. But guys, we're missing the big X factor this weekend. It's a night game, which means first look at the new LED flashy lights. Is, is that is that the flashiest thing we're yeah. going to see this weekend? Is some lights that can turn off on and off quickly. It, it'll be uh, hey, you you went out and you poached the like game day ops guy for the Vegas Golden Knights. Not a lot you can do at a 2.30 kickoff day one. So let's see it. Let's see it in action. Let's see the lights. Yeah, I'm worried that might wreak havoc on my highlights. Um, if we're going to be, be flashing lights on and off, going to the red lights, could get, could get dicey uh, on Saturday. Also the Stripe the Stadium game. So Kent State's kind of just walking into a lot of hoopla here uh, on Saturday. But uh, always going always fun. Get that first night game. Should be less hot. Um, certainly going to be interesting to see the fan part of it. There's been a lot made of the fans this week. There's been a, a big topic, and it always kind of is with Oklahoma. We talked about it a little bit on the postgame show, but um, Oklahoma fans have kind of been taking it on the chin a little bit this week, uh, especially the students in, in particular. Curious if there's any response. Is it more of the same? It is a night game, so it shouldn't be as hot, obviously. The sun will be lower and you know all that all that kind of stuff. So curious to see if, uh, if that's improved at all because that's been just a – that's pretty much after a dominant win where not very much went wrong. That's pretty much been the main source of the discourse this week uh, on OU Twitter. So curious to see if there's any response uh, this weekend, if it's big stuff or if it's kind of just, you know, same as UTEP. It's pretty cleared out by the second half because Oklahoma will probably be out big again. So um, interesting to see what uh, that looks like as well on Saturday. All right. Take like another time out here. We'll come back. Uh, big news around the college football is the playoff expand. We haven't talked about that yet, so we'll jump into that. The playoff moving to 12 teams. Do we like it? Do we hate it? We'll talk about that next. And also, it's a massive weekend in the Big 12. We didn't learn hardly anything about the Big 12 in Week 1. We're going to learn a lot about this conference this week. We'll talk about that as well next on the All Centers Podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pros price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com.
final segment of the Alternative Podcast, episode 140 on this Wednesday, September 7th. Get some uh, last cleanup around the state of college football, and then we'll send you on your merry way into your week two weekend NFL back this week as well. Debut of Baker Mayfield on Sunday against the with the Panthers against the Browns. That'll be fun. Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes. So a lot of uh, OU guys to keep up with this weekend, of course. NFL's back. Football is totally back now. It, you know, you get the high school comes back and it's awesome. College comes back and it's awesome. And then when NFL comes back and you have the full blown Friday, Saturday, Sunday, now you're 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 totally back now. So uh, it feels good. We're in September. Good times. Uh, are ahead. So huge news from college football world. Uh, what a news dump this was. It was like Friday of Labor Day weekend. Thanks for that timing. Um, the CFP committee. So the college football playoff is expanding 12 teams. Um, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. It's been a while, um, but it's officially happening. We all, we all knew it would. I mean, it was inevitable that eventually it would get bigger. Um, there's just too much money to be made. I think I saw a number of like 2.2 billion the media rights deal on it, which is like double March Madness. And think about how big March Madness is. And this thing is, is already looked at to be that much bigger than it. Um, so it's going to 12 teams. What do we think? There's a lot of different, you know, opinions on this. I pretty much think all opinions are pretty valid. I totally see why people don't want to expand. I totally see why people do want it to expand. What do you guys think about this thing going to 12 teams? And how does this affect Oklahoma? Going forward, obviously, whenever they go to the SEC, I mean, you got to think that Oklahoma probably likes this um, because it was going to be hard to get into a four before a little more manageable now. Yeah, Brent Venables is not here for your college football playoff questions. He is. uh, That's a that's a thing that the Oklahoma coach, this the sitting Oklahoma football coach, Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley, (laughs) yeah, whoever it was would frequently take questions about, Coach, what do you think about the National Signing Day, uh, early signing day period? Um, what do you think about uh, the college football player? What do you think about NIL? What do you think about – these are things that this, that shape the landscape of college football. And the coach who has sitting in the big chair at Oklahoma is one of a handful of coaches nationwide who can offer opinions on this and people will listen. Whether, you know, it's Nick Saban. It's the Ohio State coach. It's there's there's a handful of coaches. Everybody's going to listen to what that person has to say. The Oklahoma coach is that position as well. And Brent yesterday was like, I couldn't care less. Uh, I, does it have to do with Kent State? Does it have to do with today's practice? Then I don't yeah. care. It's like, um, yeah, you. I mean, you got to love Sooner fans are going to love that first of all because that's listen, winning your game having that day's best practice, beating this week's opponent, that's what gets you to the college football playoff. But unfortunately, the Oklahoma football coach kind of has to have an opinion on the college football playoff and NIL and scholarship limitations and the NCAA rules and signing day and all this stuff. Just kind of got to. So that's one thing. This is going to be huge for college football. There's 2.2 billion reasons why everybody should want college football playoff expansion. You mentioned it, Josh. That's how much money they're going to get. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy that it hasn't happened before. Um, there's some sanctity of the of the, of the the regular season arguments that can be made. But the fact of the matter is so many more schools now are going to be involved in the playoff discussion. Are there, is that going to be the, uh, that many schools have a chance to win a national championship? No. No, absolutely unequivocally not. 
but they're going to be involved in the playoff discussion. They're going to be involved yeah. in games that matter in December and January. And it's going to be brilliant because more teams are going to be more invested in playing their starters longer, getting a better resume, uh, keeping guys from going, you know, opting for the NFL, like what, what has happened with Oklahoma the last couple of bowl games. Just having guys invested in the championship chase and in playoff game, it's going to keep them around longer. I think it's fantastic. I think I've come around on the thinking. I was originally afraid of bracket creep. I love the one versus two of the BCS college football playoff. Probably can't get any bigger than four. Don't don't push the bracket creep on me. Don't put and now here we are at twelve, and I'm like, you know what? I think this is going to be good. You got six division uh, conference winners, automatic qualifiers, I guess, highest ranked conference winners, and then you got six at large teams that are going to get in there, and there's like three tiers. You got your twelve teams that get in. You got your uh, teams that get a first round bye, and you got your teams that get a first round home game. What's better than a college football playoff home game? in December. That's yeah. going to be incredible, especially if we get one here in the state of Oklahoma, whether it's Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Man, it's going to be amazing. What if we get two? What if we get one from the SEC and one from the Big 12 yeah. in the state of Oklahoma? That's incredible. Yeah, a couple of things. Thank God that the first round is going to be at home. That specifically. I know that Brent Venables, the only opinion he really gave is that he loves the bowl system. Brent, with all due respect, I don't care about your love of the bowl system. I don't care about the bowls. If you want to do a neutral site semifinal and final, fine. But there's no reason that if... Because uh, listen, this is a very real possibility. Let's say Big 12... Oklahoma State goes out and wins, and they're the lowest seeded um, conference championship winner with at four. Right, Oklahoma State's going to get a bye. That's awesome. And then, if Oklahoma, in whatever ranking it is that will match up with Oklahoma State, hosts a playoff game at home, and their new matchup is we're going to get Bedlam in the quarters. And we're going to take it to the pinstripe bowl. Why does that make any sense at all? Like <laughs> put the playoff game in Norman for the first round and then make everyone in Norman haul up I-35 to go to Stillwater for a chance to play in a semifinal game. Why would you take that game and move it anywhere? Like, why would you put it in Dallas even? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So uh, screw the bowls. Sorry. Uh, thank you, though, for the fun experiences at the end of the year. But for the purposes of this exercise, screw the bowls. Don't need it. Uh, let's go on campuses. Other than that, yes, open up the playoff, more games. We get blowouts anyway. So having this where the top four are going to get a bye means we should get some really, really compelling weekend one stuff. And if you have one or two blowouts, that's fine because we're going to have a billion other games. Uh, I really don't like having the top six conferences qualify, not like miss me with that just give me the best 12 teams and if the four best teams are all in the pack 12 then the four pack 12 teams get a buy like I, I don't care about yeah. the automatic qualifier thing or anything like that I, I understand that that's what it probably took for everyone to sign on so that you have conference stability all that stuff i hope that's changed on the other side of 2026 when things move forward and, and all that stuff but a step in the right direction uh it I think Chisholm Holland says this a lot uh, with me on the radio. It's an imperfect model. 
and it's an imperfect sport. And this is as close as we might get to what is quote unquote, right. And it's never, no one's going to be a hundred percent happy. So let's just roll with this. Let's get a bunch of games and let's have some fun come uh, postseason time. Cut down that time between conference championship weekend and the bowls. And conference championships matter now. That's the other thing that yeah. uh, Big Twelve championship is a most years a play. That is a playoff game. Yeah, like it's a yeah. playing game for a bye. The the SEC championship game last year where Alabama and Georgia, where it's like, hey, both these teams are in. Okay, one of these teams is going to get a bye, and the other one has to turn around and lick their chops and, and fight their way through the extra game in the bracket. Like that matters now. So the. Yeah. The first round games are going to be on campus. The, the second round games, the quarterfinals, are going are to be not, not played right in bowl games. Yeah, I think that could be done a little better. Uh, the semifinals are going to be in like like they are now, I guess, and then the championship games at a neutral site as well. So part of that is good. Part of that could be better, I think. Um, I, lo- I like everything about this. Um, I'd like to see, a, like Ryan was saying, that second round game reward that team that got the buy or, or the, the, the first round buy reward them with a home game. Nothing yeah, wrong with no, that. They, I, the only way you could do that and make that work would be then the teams that lose in the quarterfinals still then play in a bowl game because those big boy, big, big boy bowl games, sugar bowl, Rose bowl, they're not going to just accept like, we can't have any of the top 12 teams. You know what I mean? That's going to, that's the issue with that. Um, I do would like to see them on campus, though. I mean, I agree with that completely. But the appeasing the bowl games is going to be hard um, in that regard. That's where that gets hard. And the, obviously, the entire March Madness is not is all neutral sites, the entire thing. So it's not totally unheard of either to do that. You know what I mean? So that that, that doesn't bother me too much. Um, but I like it. I you know I, I've I've been on the expansion train for a while. I think twelve is a little high. I liked ten, which sounds like a weird number. But you have one through six, and then seven plays ten, eight plays nine, and then you have a straight eight team bracket from there. I really liked that, but I'm okay with twelve. I I totally understand the 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 idea that the regular season gets is not going to be as good in theory because you know more teams can make it. You you can sustain losses and stuff, but I I disagree with that notion. I think the regular season is better this way because there's just more teams that are playing for something. Like who was kind of saying earlier, like there's more teams that it's attainable because removing the fact that the non-power teams, you know, the group of fives of the world, obviously they have a shot, a much better shot now than they did before. But even there's a lot of teams that are in power conferences that don't really have a shot right now that will. I mean, the Purdue's of the world, the K-State's of the world, like for those teams to get in the top four, the stars have to absolutely align. They can get in the top 12. Any, Any power five team can, Wake Forest, like those teams can get in the top 12. So they have something to go for now. They have a shot. And I do also agree with the idea that this could help recruiting be spread out a little more because more teams have a, you know, more more schools have a shot to play on the big stage at the end. So I do think overall it helps. And also the the it's funny, like this notion that like 12 teams is like this massive bracket and like everybody's going to make it. Like what, what's the like it's 12 out of 140 or whatever. Like it's still hard to make it. It's ridiculous to act like. Just if you're decent at all, you're in. Like it's still going to be hard to make it. It's only 12 teams uh, out of 140. Whatever. That's still a much slower percentage than every other sports league we have, as far as who makes their playoffs. So yeah. um, it's a good thing. It, it helps the sport. And all these people that hate it too, you just know they're going to be gobbling it up when the games come. Oh that yeah, first, sure. again, when there's four quarterfinals, that's going to be sick. Everybody's going to love that. So 
it's going to be really fun. I, I do think it just helps us for it. It makes more games interesting down the stretch of the year. When number 17 plays number 13 right now, who really cares? And when this happens, that's a huge game. Winner, that's in great shape. The loser, that's done. So it's a big deal. I think it helps the sport big time. I think the conference champion aspect of it, the four highest-ranked conference champions are the automatic qualifiers get the first round by. I think that aspect of it is cool because it keeps fan bases engaged from around the country versus, well, Georgia's got the best team and Alabama's got the second best team. And, and, uh, this year it's, uh, you know, Florida's number three or, you know, that, that puts all the emphasis on one conference. I think spreading it out is probably overall a good idea just to keep, just to keep it more of a national sport. Uh, and the regional interest comes together, kind of coagulates into a national, I guess, uh, into a national sport, national interest. Yeah, the, the automatic call, I, I'm, I'm a little torn on that just because the, the conferences are not built equally at all. I mean, winning the new winning the new Big 12 and winning the new SEC are very different things. So I, I don't mind the automatic qualifier, but I would be a little – I wouldn't hate to see it removed that they're automatically the top six. You know what I'm saying? Like if you win the Pac-12, you're in. But I don't know about you definitely getting a top six. Like that makes the bracket a little wonky. Uh, it can at least. Notre Dame can never be in the top six. They could be amazing and be number seven. They go undefeated. And, you know, so that that part of it is a little, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that part of it. I do like that it makes the conference championship games really important, like Ryan was saying. But it's imperfect. I think we all agree on that. There's no perfect way to do it. It's just too hard. It's just football and college world, the number of teams, there is no perfect way to do it. I think this is a lot better, though. And it'll just be entertaining. Uh, it'll be fun. So let's, let's embrace that part of it, um, that at the end of the year, it'll be fun and the whole blowout conversation, there's too many blowouts or whatever, the playoff games have blowouts. Like, I don't think 6 and 11 are going to be blowing each other out, 7 and 10. They might result in blowouts at the end, but I think you have a much better chance of avoiding semifinal blowouts this way, in my opinion, because, I mean, like last year, was Cincinnati really the fourth best team? Probably not. Um, they deserved it. They totally earned to be there, but they're not really the fourth best team. We're going to get the four best teams now in the final four because you have to have won your way there. So I think that'll have a better shot at having more competitive semifinals. And if they're all SEC teams, so be it. Those are the four best teams, and those are the four best teams. So you know, that doesn't really bother me. So Now, also with conferences, you're talking about the Big 12 and when it comes to the college football playoff, to, you, to borrow from basketball, the Big 12 is a one-bid league. The Big 12 will never get two teams in a four-team college football playoff. The SEC does it all the time. So what does that do when you extrapolate to 12 teams – all of a sudden, you're getting four SEC teams in? Yeah, I think Oklahoma will take those odds, being the fourth-best team or the third-best team or the second-best team or even the champion some yeah. years in the SEC. You're increasing your ability to get to the playoff if you're Oklahoma with a 12-team by by a factor of, of more than just four. I mean, it's, it's huge uh, if you're Oklahoma and you're in the SEC. You're making that SEC money, and now you're making that playoff money? Come on. Yeah. yeah, huge, huge roll call man, Texas, because right now, I mean, you have to be better than you. You literally would have to be better than Alabama or Georgia, one or the other to get in. And that goes away with, with the 12 team. Yeah, it'll be fine from the Oklahoma perspective. I'm just I still can't. Uh, I'm still going to grumble for uh, as long as this exists about the we don't need six auto bids. The group of five just got way weaker because four of the best programs in the group of five just got sucked up into a conference. If 
Boise State is undefeated, guess what? They're going to be in the top 12, and they're going to earn a uh, at-large bid anyway. If they yeah. if they're a one-loss team, they shouldn't be in the playoff with the schedule that they play. Why are we guaranteeing that a potential – like a one-loss group of five team, if they're the best one, they're guaranteed to be in – Give me the 12 best teams. If they're undefeated, guess what? They're going to be in the top 12. They are. Yeah. I mean, this this sets up like 9-3 San Diego State hosting undefeated Notre Dame in the first round, which will be ridiculous. Um, and well, kind of fun, but... Notre Dame can host in the first round. They just can't be one of the top four bids. The top four. Bids. Right. They came in the top four. You're, yeah. you're right. You're right. You're right. So, but yeah. So, it. Uh, yeah. The, the, the group of five being automatically top six. It's a little weird. There's still some kinks to be worked out. Yeah, and, and that's working out. Yeah, very minor nitpicks, and look, everyone's going to have their nitpicks with the system, right? So that those are just fine. It it'll be fine. It'll be good. But yeah, certainly worth keeping an eye on. We don't know when that's going to come into play. Could be, you know, I think 2026 was the latest, so it'll be it'll be here by then. Gotta imagine it'll be here sooner than that, though. Um, so we're in our final days of the uh, playoff as we know it, which has been semi-successful. It added a little more interest. It also could arguably made the sport a little worse in the regular season, and the playoff hasn't really produced any good games, like at all. Uh, Oklahoma, Georgia, and the Rose Bowl is about it. So um, now it has helped create champions that wouldn't have previously existed. Obviously, number three, number four teams have won it before. So from that perspective, you like it, but uh, it's been kind of hit or miss uh, so far. So we'll see if the new 12-team model uh, shakes out better. I think it's going to be a blast, and uh, it eliminates that gap in December. I mean, the conference championship games will happen, you got to start this uh, right away next next weekend. You can't have a twelve team bracket and not start right away. So I like that it eliminates that whole December of just nothingness for a while until we get to the bowls. So that 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 part of it's nice too. All right. So coming back to this season, looking this weekend, we talked about a little bit on the post game show. Ryan, you mentioned it. The Big Twelve. We learned basically nothing in Week One because every Big Twelve team played a cupcake and rolled them except for West Virginia, who lost to Pittsburgh to play them tough. But we, you know. Uh, West Virginia is not expected to be a serious player in the Big 12, at least, you know, not expected to be. Could be, you never know. Um, but this weekend is very different. The slate is loaded for the Big 12. I, I couldn't, I didn't really realize it until this morning, honestly. I knew Bama, Texas, obviously, is the big one. And Baylor goes to BYU uh, this weekend. Those are both big games. But then you also have Missouri, K-State, Houston, Texas Tech, Iowa State, Iowa, and Oklahoma State hosts Arizona State. So it's a big weekend for the Big 12. What are you guys looking forward to learning about the conference? Is there a particular game? And we all think Bama's going to roll Texas, but that could be. Or, you know, what, what, which game is it that you're most excited to learn something about one of these Big 12 teams? I think Missouri, Kansas State. Uh, K-State's like an eight-and-a-half-point favorite, I think I saw yesterday. Um, Oklahoma State's an 11-point favorite over Arizona State. So neither one of those games is expected to be a loss. But every one of those other games could absolutely be a Big 12 loss, uh, even a Houston at Texas Tech. Um, the one that's going to be the most fun to watch is the uh, the Holy War, the throwdown between the uh, Baptists <laughs> of Baylor and the Mormons yeah. of BYU, the future Big 12 opponent BYU. But everybody, listen, everybody's got their DVR set. Nationally, to see how good Alabama is, nationally to see a throwdown of two historical blue bloods in college football, right? Around here, everybody's got their DVR set because they want to see Texas bleed. Uh Right? Am I, I mean, am I overstating that? It's going to be a beatdown of epic proportions, and people yeah. around here want to see how bad Texas is. I think Texas has an opportunity this year, guys, to be worse than last year. 
five and seven last year. They have an opportunity this year to be worse. They've got a freshman starting at left tackle. Um, can you imagine? Is it Will Anderson, the uh, linebacker, outside yeah. linebacker, rush ed, uh, edge rusher from uh, Alabama that's going to just be licking his chops at playing against a true freshman uh, left tackle? This is bad. Uh, the tight end, Jadavian Sanders, said Saturday night after they uh, after they opened with Monroe, 52-10, easy win, never got pushed. He said, we know Alabama's not a pushover at all. They could blow us out easily if we don't execute the game plan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they could. Yeah. And then Sark on Monday says, uh, this game will not define us, guys. This game will not define us. Okay, so you're setting yourself up right there. You're setting your team up. Guys, if we lose 58-13, to this game will not define us. Don't worry about it. We've got more games to play. That's what's happening here. Yeah, excited to find out a lot about Quinn. Just, okay, you're being thrown to the fire. You are going to be running for your life. How does he respond to that? Just because uh, it's going to be ugly up front in the trenches. Uh, but for me, yes, looking at that one, but it's three games in particular. You mentioned the K-State game. Why? Because K-State's the first team out for the Oklahoma, the Big 12 slate. I think that's the game we're going to learn the most about this Oklahoma team until Texas, just because Texas is always a, a crapshoot. So that one, and then how good does shape and look on the road for Baylor and Oklahoma yeah. State? I think that their second-half defensive problems have kind of been overstated a little bit. I think it was a lack of focus plus second- and third-string guys. But Emory Jones coming in there to Arizona State, we're going to find out a lot about if the tackling issue is going to be a tackling issue all year long for the Cowboys or if it was just a very similar to Oklahoma. They were up lightning fast so big in the first half did they just mentally clock out not having uh, Brent Venables screaming at them on the sideline, bloody murder to make sure that, that they were going to stay locked in. Uh, so very different from a first year head coach versus an established guy. And my guy, it's just totally different set of circumstances uh, as far as guys trying to show out for the Cowboys. So that those are the three that I'm really interested in out, outside of uh, the Texas bloodbath. Yeah. I, I, I'm Baylor BYU is, you know, cause we're just going to learn how good Baylor is. I mean, if you go into Provo and win, that's a big time. Baylor's a top 25 team and that that's a legit road win. You go in there and get that done in your second game. They played all of them last week. I mean, who, what do you make of that? You know see? So we're going to learn a lot about the bears uh, who we all, I think agree is Oklahoma's biggest threat in the big 12 um, this year. And they come to Norman in November. So excited to see what they look like in that stage. Obviously, Texas, Alabama. I'm, I'm I'm glad we get to watch that game because it's 11 a.m. We have a night game this weekend, so I will be watching that game before heading to Norman. And uh, yeah, don't expect it to be pretty at all because Bama is Bama. Now, I will say, in a slight, uh, you know, source of optimism for Texas, if there is one, is and this is you can't even really do this, but the in the previous regime, you know, 2019. The one team that kind of hung around with LSU actually was Texas and Austin. It's a very similar game. So you're hoping for maybe some kind of a miracle like that again, where you just your talent actually plays up to what it's supposed to be and you hang around at least. Because I think every Texas fan would be straight up lying if they told you they wouldn't take just a semi-reasonable loss. If they said, you can lose this game by 17, right? I'll give you that right now, they would take that in a heartbeat because they just don't want to get lose by 40. So, because... Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but, you know, Alabama, Utah State is not terrible, and they destroyed Utah State. I mean, Utah State was, like, getting top 25 votes. They beat them by, like, 60. So, Bama is uh, – they're Bama. So, that's going to be a fun one. And, uh, you know, not to be overlooked, the Cyhawk game, too, because Iowa State is just, like, 
what are they? I don't know what Iowa State is at all. And, and they're like the biggest wild card in the whole conference this year for me. Everything they lost, but I, I really like Matt Campbell. And they just – they can't beat Iowa. But Iowa scored seven last week with two safeties. So if you can't go get Iowa this year in Kinnick, when is it going to happen? So interesting to see how that shakes out uh, as well for, for Iowa State and Iowa uh, this weekend. Big weekend in the Big 12. Lots of big games. going to be fun to watch. You know what's something else, too, that I thought about? This is totally stupid, and I admit that right off the top. Obviously, you know, it, during anybody who's been to Oklahoma game, we all know very, very well, been to a, lot of, a ton of these things. They do, the, they do the scoreboard update with Chris Plank in the second and third quarter. Well, the big night game on Saturday is USC-Stanford on ABC. It's like the, the one kind of marquee night game. Are they going to break in and show a, a, a clip of that on the Big 12 on the scoreboard update? Because that normally would be a, a slam dunk to be in that. It's the big Saturday night game. If they do that, I don't think we're going to hear a single word that Plank says because he would just be drowned out with booze and, and just general disgruntlement. So I'm excited for that. That's honestly my big storyline going into the week. <laughs> That's is, a great take. Do they show USC highlights? Do they have That's the audacity? If Stanford has highlights in that game or toward the end of the game, if Stanford is winning, it'll be the loudest cheer we hear at the stadium all year long. <laughs> well, I, I think what you're looking for is it's got to be a two-score cushion from the Cardinal. Like it's not a, hey, they're up 7 nothing early. We're going to show that. Like I think that Stanford at the time the highlights roll has to be up by two scores. Otherwise, not going to get shown. They'll just show OSU highlights from, hey, they're yeah. hosting Arizona State. Here's Spencer Sanders. Here's tackling. Let's all point and laugh at Texas from earlier. Yeah, no, I, I've had that thought earlier this week. I mean, can you imagine they pop in and here's Caleb Williams hitting Mario Williams on a 70-yard <laughs> touchdown? Like, there might be a riot. So uh, I was thinking about that. Um, let's see. Chris let's see what our, what our old buddy Plank got. They're carrying Chris Plank out on their shoulder. Get him out of here. <laughs> throw him, like a goalpost, throw him over the edge. The scene from 300, <laughs> they've got Chris Plank literally carried out on – Roughneck paddles instead of on the carton <laughs> sheets. <laughs> we need him. We need him up and at him for the good vibes Sunday at three twenty-five for the Raiders kicking the season off. Leave Chris Plank alone. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Excited for a big weekend of football. Good times are ahead, and uh, we'll have it for you. All the coverage, of course. Boots on the ground in Norman this weekend. Oklahoma and Kent State, and of course we'll have the post-game show up next. From the stadium, that's going to be like a 3 a.m. pod because it's a night game. Um, but we're going to do it for you from the stadium because we care. Certified fresh, as who likes to say, Saturday night at the stadium. So that's it for us. We'll catch you this weekend from Norman. Obviously, keep up with allstreamers.com all throughout the week. Previewing the game. We have a lot more coming up before the game kicks off on Saturday. So thank you so much for listening. Again, you catch that post-game show probably Sunday morning for most normal people. But if you're still up at 3 a.m., enjoy on uh, on Saturday night. So you catch that show or all the Allstreamers podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. Ryan Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.